In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, 2,000 years ago, the holy God who made heaven and earth forgave every single sin by dying upon the cross. What God did for us on this day 2,000 years ago is not a footnote in history, but it is the very culmination of history. The very purpose and meaning of life of the entire world is bound to the gruesome details that took place on that day. The bloody and the gory death of Christ, the Son of God, God of God himself, is the very substance of your salvation. And it is the very way that God has dealt with the sin of the world. This event is the most important moment of life, of every life. So it's no surprise that the devil wants to take it away from us. The devil has been dreading Good Friday since he first heard of it. So the devil will use our own busyness, our events and our work and our leisure and our rest to blind us to this day. He will use conflict and trouble and sin to cloud our minds and harden our hearts to This day, he uses our feelings and our sensitivities to get in the way and tear out this day from our hearts. We see similar things happen when entire churches, congregations will remove the crucifix from their sanctuaries permanently, not temporarily, but permanently and simply remove Jesus from the cross that instead they'll put something else on it, a dove or a Bible verse, a flag or whatever else, anything else except Jesus. We also see this when we depict Jesus anywhere else, everywhere else in a field with children laughing and doing miracles, except on his cross. And it's not just that, but this is why churches have simply put off the preaching of the cross and left it in the past at some point in history as if we now, now today, we have bigger and better and greater things, more practical things to focus on instead of this, instead of just this history. This is why so many churches have stopped singing hymns like the ones we're singing tonight about Jesus' death, the very details of it you heard. And they've replaced these songs these hymns with songs about good feelings or emotions. This is also why great crowds show up for Christmas and for Easter. But the same crowd can't be found on Good Friday, the day of our Lord's Passion. The world and our sinful hearts and the devil himself wants us to think that there is something better or more important to think about this night. But there isn't. There is not a thing in this life, no matter what you go through at this very moment, that is more important or more practical or more necessary or more beautiful than what God did for you this day all these years ago. 
Now, I want to be uh, very honest with you and fair tonight. I'm not, I'm not callous or hard-hearted or naive about this. I'm not unaffected by what I see and hear. And I know that the crucifix is gruesome. I know it's not nice to look at. I know the historical account, all of those verses, all those chapters that you just heard of Christ's suffering and death are hard to hear, and I know it well. And to be honest, I have often too uh, thought to myself, oftentimes, uh, why did God have to go into so much detail? Right? Why did he have to tell us about the sweat Sweating drops of blood, bursted capillaries in the face of Jesus at simply the thought of what he was about to endure. Why? Why did God have to tell us about his son being whipped and flogged nearly to death? Why did he have to tell us about the spit on Jesus' face and the nakedness of our Lord and his mockery? Why did he have to tell us of the nails? In his hands and in his feet, the crown of thorns digging into his skull and the spear in his side with water and blood pouring out from his body. Couldn't, is it possible, couldn't God have simply said, hey, I've dealt with your sins and done it in private and just not tell us about it. And just say, I figured it out. I found a way to forgive you. And, and I did. Don't worry about the details. You don't need to know this. He, he could have done that. Why didn't he do that? Couldn't he have simply just done it in private and spared us the gruesome details, the stomach-turning details of the whole thing? What, what is the point of telling us? Well, uh, to answer this question, I'm going to use an anecdote. That's uh, something that happened to, actually happened in my life, something that happened to me and my wife recently. So some of you may know this. My dear wife, Erica, is deathly afraid of snakes. She doesn't like to look at them, not even in a terrarium behind glass or in a picture or things like this. Uh, Not many people do. They're not beautiful creatures. They're very uh, gross. Um, well, we live in Florida, and, which is a problem because there's a lot of snakes down here. Um, and not too long ago, we had a snake in our own home, uh, in the laundry room to be exact. So uh, Erica always seems to run into them before I do. Uh, so she runs back and she tells me there's a snake in the house. And she gets the boys, and she goes in the car, and she drives away. <laughs> uh, I didn't blame her. Uh, I stayed in the house, and I don't like snakes all that much either, but I stayed in the house with a snake in order to take him out, and I did. And I took the snake, and I swept him out of the house, but it was raining, and it was pouring down, and the, the, the snake was uh, slippery and kept coming back to the house. And he kept trying again and again. So if I put him out of the front door, then he'd try to get into the garage, uh, from the garage back to the front door, on and on. Uh, so no matter how far I swept him or what I did, he would slither back and come back. He didn't stop coming back. So at this point, I had no choice but to stop him 
uh, once and for all. Um, so, this isn't very pretty, but I waited until he was on the concrete. And then I took a deep breath and I stomped on his head. And the snake was writhing in pain. His body is moving back and forth. And I left my foot there, pressing all my weight on it until uh, his body didn't move anymore. And then when I was sure he was dead, I picked him up and I walked far away and I put him in the sewer. I put him down the drain in the sewer. So I cleaned up everything, and later that day, I talked to Erica again, and I called her on the phone, and I said, look, uh, you can come back now. Uh, the snake is gone. Uh, and then she asked me, are you sure? <laughs> you, and she's smart. She goes, you didn't just sweep him outside, did you? <laughs> because he can come back. Um, and I said, trust me, he's not coming back. Uh, he won't be back. And then she trusted me. But if she didn't, and if she was doubting and afraid and wondering if the snake would still somehow come back, if she really pressed me on it, then I would go into detail and tell her exactly what I did. As gruesome as those details are, I would tell it to her so that she would have the confidence and know that that snake, that one, would never come back. This, dear saints, is why the Lord revealed all of the gruesome details of Jesus' crucifixion to us. Jesus had no sin of his own, but he bore the sin of all. He had no sin in him, but he took all sin on him. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way. For our sake, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus embodies all of the sin of the world, all of them in his flesh, in him. The, all of the covetousness, the discontentment, the lies, the gossip, every single moment of stealing and cheating, all adultery, all lust, the murder, the anger in this world, the disobedience, the rebellion, the apathy, the indifference, the cursing, the swearing in his name, the idols and false gods that we have in our hearts. The Lord took them away from the world and put them on Christ. And then Christ received in him the condemnation that we deserved. On that cross, the Father treated Jesus the way that sin and death and the devil deserve to be treated. He treated his own son the way we deserve to be treated. The Father made his son to suffer with all pain that man has ever felt. And there Christ was beaten, flogged, sweating, sighing, dying, emaciated, choking on his own blood, gasping for air, drained of every last drop of sweat and tears that he had in his body until his, lifeless, until his, uh, his body was a lifeless corpse on the cross. And the gruesome details of that night are necessary for you. They're the very source of your comfort and peace. 
if you're willing to believe it. Because the details of his condemnation are the details of your salvation. By his stripes we are healed. So for those of you who are concerned and worried about your sins that come back to your mind, that haunt you, that are ever before you, those sins, the ones that, you, that are coming up to mind right now, those of you who fret and fear that your sins will somehow come back to the mind of God on the last day, don't worry. They are not coming back. In Christ, he has separated your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. He drowns them in the bottom of the sea, and he has told you he remembers them no more. For those of you who are afraid that God will somehow punish, uh, that some, God will somehow punish you and get you back for your sins, that he is storing up for you some kind of wrath against you, his dear child, Then you look to the cross and see your dear Lord hanging there. Listen to every last gruesome detail of his dear passion. And look at the cross and consider consider the scriptures. Consider what they say. Is there anything left to do to a man? Is there any pain or sorrow missing from his passion? Is there something the Lord didn't suffer? Is is there something he didn't go through? Is there something lacking in what he... Is there something else he needed to endure? And the answer is no, there isn't. And this is the confidence of your salvation, that there is nothing left for the Son of God to suffer. Which means, dear saints, there's nothing left for you to suffer. If there's not an ounce of work lacking in his condemnation, then there is not an ounce of work that you need to add For your salvation. He did it all. He suffered all. He endured it all. He drank. He took the cup and he drank deeply from the cup of wrath down to the last dregs. And he finished it. So dear saints, lift your eyes in faith to your dear Lord on the cross. Your salvation is complete and there's nothing left for you to do. There's nothing left. There's no more punishment left. And there's nothing left for you to do. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. Christ, your dear Lord, has done it all. And because he did it all, there's nothing left to fear. Not your sin. You don't have to be afraid of your sin ever coming back. Your sin and the punishment you deserved will not come back. But Christ will. And just as he rose from his grave, he will raise you from yours. And on the last day, he will leave all of your grief, all of your sadness, your trouble and heartache, even death itself in your grave. And once and for all, he will bring you home to him forever. May God be praised this night. May God bless all of you who came, who went out of your way to meditate on the passion of your dear Lord, who meditated on you, who put you first in his mind. Listen to the words of this uh, dear and beautiful hymn. 
O meditate how painfully the Lamb of God on Calvary has died for your transgressions. How dreary was that awful night of agony. How great the fight of his most wondrous passion. O Son of God, eternal word, divine redeemer, dearest Lord, we marvel at your suffering. For your disgrace and pain and shame will ever magnify your name and praise your glorious offering. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.